you know, as I was, I was sitting here, I was just worshiping along and, and, and just praying, and, and it's like, you know, here we are in Advent and anticipation, the waiting of our coming King, and yet the Lord was very specific when he was talking to his disciples. He said, you know, I'm going to be leaving you, but the truth is when two or more are gathered, there I am in your midst. I show up. I'm not gone. I, I, I am here. And so we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus to make things right, and yet the truth is right now, God says, I am present with you as you connect together in community under my name. And that's what we mean by connecting. And we just, we just hope that, I and mean, if you're new here, we'd love to connect with you. Um, this is the perfect time, the perfect season to, to join uh, with us as a church community just to connect to the ultimate connection, Jesus Christ. Um, and we love the fact that we can get together and we can worship. And man, I just had goosebumps. I don't know about you guys, especially that last song. <laughs> I just love that. Sitting there and I'm just like, Lord, you are here. You know, you're not something we just worship and think about uh, some dude 2,000 years ago, he had great ideas, you know, he had great pin- principles. Um, no, no, you, you are alive and you're active and you're here right now. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So, super excited about that. And we, I've had the privilege of teaching um, out of the book of Hebrews this last four weeks. This is our final week in Advent. And we've been looking at the idea of missing pieces, the missing pieces in our life. And, and we, as, as a church that just looks to Jesus, we know that the, missing, the ultimate missing piece for the world around us is found in Jesus Christ. Straight and simple. It, it, it's, it seems too good to be true, but sometimes, you know, what's that one law? Occam's razor, the most simplest, the most simplest um, uh, uh, answer is typically the right one. And it really is just Jesus. We miss Jesus. And, and, and at this time of the season, even, even as people who, who, who love Jesus, I, I find myself doing this, I miss him in the season where we're supposed to be anticipating what he did and how he came. And, and we can, I can miss him in the hustle and the bustle and just the shopping and, and, and the, oh no, I need to wrap presents and the in-laws and who's going to bring the, the, uh, the, you know, the ham and hopefully no one brings the fruitcake. And, you know, I mean, it's like, we just, there's so many things going on, right? I mean, um, just talking to people, uh, we, we thought Mark wasn't going to be here uh, for, for Christmas Eve, and now he is because we thought he had to work. And I mean, just crazy things, you know? Some of you have to work on Christmas, and it's like no one should have to work on Christmas, right? It should be written in stone somewhere. And yet, um, there's just so many things that happen, so many things that are going on that sometimes we forget. And very, very easily... It reminds me, because I used to read, I don't know if you guys were like me back as a kid, I, I would read the Bible and I would stop um, and just go, how could they be so stupid? You know, I just put it down, like, why are, they're so dense. Why are these people so dense? And of course I was talking about the religious leaders of the day, as Jesus is right there in their midst, and they're just like walking right by him. You know, here they were with the, the whole Torah, the whole Old Testament memorized. They knew God's word backwards and forwards, and yet they missed God right in front of them. They missed Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, the older I get, the more I realize I do that all the time. I miss God right in front of me. Because the truth is, we can be right here at church, right? Worshiping, and the person next to us is somewhere else. The truth is, we can be in the midst of people and still be lonely. The truth is we can be at a job that we worked and worked and worked and worked for and we can miss it, the joy that God wants to bring into our life. 
The love that God has for us. The peace. The hope. And so, that's why we've been looking at these missing pieces. And you know, the first, obviously, we looked at hope. And the second, we looked at love. And the third was joy. And if you missed any of those, I just recommend I mean, We put it online for a reason, not because we like to hear ourselves, but just so that everybody can get a taste of what we've been going and talking about. Um, but the truth is, God really, really is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus has something for every single one of us. And that's why I'm super excited about this last, final missing piece um, that we need so badly. And, uh, and this last missing piece, obviously, is peace. So let me give you really quickly the uh, take-home truth, which is simply, uh, we don't want to miss out on the peace that Jesus brings. Because let's be honest, how many of you are like totally at peace right now? Because, I don't know if you guys know this, I'm just say it one more time, it's a super secret, 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 secret. Christmas is coming, right? It's almost here. It's almost here. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) I just found out this morning. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. But that right there can cause the... That could take away your peace. And that's the the saddest thing. So what I'd love to do is, um, as we read God's word here, if you could stand with me, we're going to look at the last book of Hebrews here, chapter 13. And this is literally... um, the last prayer that the author gives to the people that he's been talking to about this God, Jesus Christ, who's come for you and me. So, as we read this very quickly, follow along right here, and it says this, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, see, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, you may be seated. This is a great prayer. This is, this is one of those passages that I seriously wished I had memorized sooner. I need to memorize it. I'm horrible at memorization. This is why I have a lot of notes. I, I like, I, I, I'm kind of a um, pastor follower. Some, of you, some people are like, I love musicians. You know, some people are like, I love that artist. You know, some people are like, I like that actor, the actress. I, I do the same thing with pastors. I know it's weird. Like, I, 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 like, really, like, have these, like, man crushes. I don't know what you could call them on certain pastors because I just respect the crud out of them. You know what I mean? Like, how do you do, like, you are such an awesome follower of Jesus. And you, you know, and I just, I, I, and most of these guys that I follow, they don't need notes. They got it all in their heads. And they're just like, boom. And I'm like, I can never do that. <laughs> I gotta have my notes because I forget very easily. But if there's one passage that I would really want to have stick in my head and pray for everybody, it would be this one. See, the author, at the time when they're writing this, Christians knew this whole new thing called the way that the followers of Jesus were going through some really tough times. The culture at that time, I mean, let me just kind of flesh it out here. They walked in places where they were looked down upon. You see, they were looked down upon maybe because of the color of their skin. A lot of times they were looked down upon because they were poor. The amount of money that they did not have. A lot of them were slaves. See, they lived in a time where there was gross abuse of power in the government and in the local governments. 
and those that had control, so much so that the average person had it very, very hard. They had it very difficult. They were taxed a lot. And there wasn't a lot of money in the pockets. And there wasn't a lot of security. See, they lived in an unsure time where different countries and powers outside of their own were constantly challenging the peace and stability of their own way of life. These followers lived in a world where kids and, 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 and women and older people were, were more targets than they were to be cherished. They were slaughtered in conflicts and wars all around them and no respect to their vulnerability. See, they lived in a time where being a follower of Jesus Christ wasn't popular. In fact, it ostracized them from the workplace. It, it, a lot of times it ostracized them from their own town. And many times there were, there were, there were family difficulties. Their own families would come against them because of the gospel, because of Jesus. Maybe you, some of you are kind of getting where I'm, what I'm laying down here, but the truth is, if I, all these things I just said back then, to some extent, can be applied to today. You see, the truth is, we today live in a day and age where it's full of strife. Full of fear, full of anger, full of bitterness. And many of you have been ostracized. Many of you have been broken because of the world we live in. We can't escape this world. And the author wrote this prayer to help the believers then and definitely help us now. And this is why if I were to challenge you to memorization, I challenge you to memorize this passage. Speak it over, to your, ki- speak it over your kids as you lay them to bed at night. Speak it over your wife as you, as you pray or your, your husband as you pray. This is such a great truth that we need because it really does help us to understand this foundational aspect of Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And that's what I really want to go with you right now as we go through this. There's three fundamental truths I want to point you to. First and foremost, peace is all about the right perspective. It's all about the right perspective. See, the truth is... Perspective is everything. Now, I've got a couple of pictures that I want to show you that have to do with... Nope, no pictures. Okay, we didn't get pictures. Okay, never mind. No pictures. (laughs) They're waving me off. But let me me illuminate it in your mind. Sometimes the best pictures are right there. You know what I mean? Okay, some of you are already dazing. You're like thinking about pictures of food and burgers and everything else, and that's okay. So, have you seen those pictures, though, of the perspectives where you see a person and they take a picture and they're going like this and they're holding the sun in their hand? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, what? how did they do that, you know? Or the perspective of, of, it looks like they're falling off the world, but they just took it upside down, and, you know, and, and the truth is that they're just, they took the picture sideways, and so it looks like they're falling off the street, and they're not, you know? Or I had one picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa in Italy, and there's a girl hugging it. And it's only because she's way here, and the Tower of Pisa is like a mile that way, but it looks like she's putting her arms around the Leaning Tower of Pisa, because it's all about perspective. And the truth is, if, if our perspective is wrong, it's going to see, that's how we're going to see the world around us. And those things which look so big in perspective really aren't, but our perspective is that they're huge and they're massive and, and it takes our peace. See, this is why the author starts the prayer off with, now may the God of peace, he wants to put our eyes back on the truth. Because very much so, We get stuck with a perspective that keeps us down. It steals our peace. 
let me just put it this way. We live in a world that does not believe in peace. We live in a world that has tried, but has failed miserably. Let me give you some statistics here. Estimates suggest that our, for 362 days of the year, there is a conflict going on somewhere in the world. We're talking like war, conflict. So there's three days in the year that typically there's no conflict. This excludes internal or civil wars. So this isn't even talking about just civil wars and, 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 um, Internal wars and all those things. Estimates also suggest that there have only been 26 days of peace in over 3,400 years. So 3,400 years of documented history, there's been 26 days of peace. Just wrap that one around your brain. And, And a lot of people like to think we're getting better. No. Estimates actually show we're getting worse. Um, there are currently 40 wars ongoing right now in which over a thousand people die every year, per year. And, and, and by the way, those are statistics that are given of anything over a thousand. If it's under a thousand, if 999 people die, UN doesn't even count it. Because we're so, like, shielded from it, we have to say, oh, it's under a thousand people, so we just won't count that one. <laughs> Only if it's over a thousand people will we count it. There have been hundreds since the end of Second World War. Now, I do have those pictures, so I want to put them up because I, I think they matter. I think it's good because it's easy to understand. But see, here's a guy, and, and right? Perspective, right? You see that? What's he doing? He's, he's just, he's balancing, right, on two jars of pomegranate juice. All right, next one. There's the Pisa one, right? Oh, she just loves the leaning tower. What a giant, right? Look at this one. I love this one. By the way, this describes all movies back in the 50s when they were making movies, right? (laughs) The giant woman and everything else. So, all right, next one. Those are some shoes to fill, huh? Wow, that's a good one. I like that. All right, how about the next one? Is there one more? Nope, that's it. I thought there was one more. Okay. No, that's it. Okay, never mind. thought we had five. Maybe that was five. I don't know. Um, sorry. It's, I, I think a picture is worth a thousand words. But, I mean, honestly, it's perspective. We could look at that and go, oh, my gosh. There's giants in Italy. And they have scarves. And they're hugging pieces of work that, you know, architect. Anyway, it's just, I know. But, it's, but people can do that. We can be fooled because our perspective is skewed. This is what happens. The sad truth is our perspective only continues to bring more conflict, more war, more strife, not less. See, we need to remember the hard truth of perspective. Again, if you're taking notes, our perspective will always push. Our perspective will always push our actions. Kids in their beds cower in fear and anxiety because there is something in that closet. You get what I'm saying? There's something in there, and there is something under my bed. I remember sleeping in my bed as a kid, five years old, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you're not as weird as me, but I never never put my feet all the way down at the end of the bed. Even though I was a small little guy, like, you know, I would put my feet up because I thought if I put my feet all the way down at the end of the bed, there was sharks at the bottom of the bed. Because my parents had let me watch Jaws, right? <laughs> so, of course, I was scared of sharks. But there, there was monsters down there that were going to eat my feet. Or if I, my hand was to fall to the side of the bed, there was going to be monsters under the bed that were going to grab me and pull me. You know what I mean? And that dictated how I acted. 
my perspective of these imaginary monsters and how many kids are afraid of the dark because their perspective is as soon as those lights come off, the monsters come out. And so it dictates their actions, right? It pushes them into what they're going to do because that's what perspective does. This is why many people remain unhappy and unfulfilled at a job that for their, from their perspective is the only one they can get. Why many people will never darken the door of our church because in their perspective, God is just out to make them feel guilty. He's just out to ruin their time and give them a life that's full of drudgery and mundanity, whatever you want to say. I mean, he's just not for them. I remember this the way it was when I was a kid. I, I, in sophomore year, I was taking math and it was the dreaded thing called algebra. By the way, this whole last week, I'm proud to say I never did algebra. Anyone there with me? Anyone? Yeah, one of my favorite little pictures is a guy going like this and, and it says a caption, didn't have to do algebra today. <laughs> you know, it's like, it, it didn't, yeah. Some of you are like, I do algebra every day, buddy. So I, I feel for you. But I hated math. I hated it. And, and I just remember going, man, I just stink at math. Anybody there? I stink at algebra. I can't do it. My brain just won't let me do it. Well, guess what? I got to college and they said, by the way, you got to do algebra. And I was like, no, I stink at it. But I had this really great teacher that said, no, you don't stink at it. Nobody stinks at it. They just have to apply themselves and try and you'll get it. I ended up getting straight A's because I sat down with a math tutor and they worked it out with me and I went, oh, I actually can do math. My brain isn't broken in the algebra section. By the way, this is a huge study they've done worldwide. Many people go, certain cultures are really good at math. You ever thought that? Certain cultures are just really good at math. No, they're not. It's just those certain cultures sit down and do it every day, and they get good at math. (laughs) And that's the truth, because your perspective will always push you to how you act or what you don't do. See, the simple truth is that many of us are being pushed into actions because our perspectives are skewed. What's the perspective you have today that's pushing you in to having no peace? Maybe you believe that God really doesn't like you. He just tolerates you. I mean, he has to because he's God and he's, he's like, I don't like your mom. You just have, she just has to love you because it's your mom. And God just has to love me because he's like mom. Mom just loves me. No matter how dumb I am, she loves me. And that's the way God is because, let's be honest, he doesn't want to, but he has to. See, the truth you, you, you feel and what pushes your actions today is that God really doesn't love you and want to fill your life with peace. Or maybe your perspective is that God just doesn't care about the situation you're in. He just, you know, he created everything, he stepped away, he doesn't care. So like usual, you need to make it happen. If you're going to have peace, you've got to make it happen. All the while, you miss the Prince of Peace who sent, who sent you everything you need and he wants to move on in. The simple truth is that many of us are believing things based on a false perspective and it's pushing our lives in a way that's not healthy and right. That's why we need Jesus. Which brings us to the second aspect here is, is peace is all about the right plan. See, if it's, if it's also having, it's having the right perspective, it's having the right plan. And this is what I love about the, 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 the author of Hebrews. He says, not only is he the God of peace, but who through the blood of the eternal covenant... See, the truth is we don't have a plan for peace. We never have. We come up with ideas, but they never work. We've been living the plan, a different plan, that we, unbeknownst to us, really isn't from us. It's actually from the enemy, which is to kill, steal, and destroy. 
And many of you are old enough to realize that, yeah, that's pretty much the world around me. When I'm honest with myself, the plan is killing me. It's stealing from me. And it's destroying me. That's the enemy's plan. It always has been. But it's always been God's plan to bring life, life to the fullest. That's why he sent his son, the prince of peace. Ever since our sinful perspective has pushed us away from God, he has been at work in this plan to bring you and me back to him. The people around us back to him. This is what is so amazing about Scripture. When we look at the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born, and one of the things they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls when a young Bedouin child was just throwing rocks and hid open a cave, he just went in there and realized, oh my gosh, there's Old Testament scrolls in here, and they pulled them out, and they were, they were the oldest. They were 700 years before Jesus. They had documented, and like, this is serious. And Isaiah, and they see in Isaiah the, the Scripture. And right there in these Old Testament scrolls, this young Bedouin child found is is Isaiah chapter 9, and it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, it's all there to show it's not only just the perspective we have, but trusting in the plan that God has. God has a plan for what plagues us. God is not going away. He's come to bring peace. And then Isaiah goes on to say in verse 7 of chapter 9, he says, Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. We've drummed up 26 days in the last amount of 3,400 years or whatever. But Jesus says, There will be no end to my peace that I bring. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, I I don't think that the Russian people this week realized that they were going to have their currency just fail. Some people might have seen it coming, but let's just be honest, the world is crumbling in areas all the time. And for the Russian people, imagine having a certain amount in your bank account and then the next week it's worth nothing. How about the parents that dropped off their kids to the school in Pakistan this last week? They drop their kids off, they go to work, hundreds of them die from Taliban terrorists. How about the young couples that brought their kids into the daycare center, said, I love you, I'll see you tonight, babes, and then went to the elevator and went up 40, 50 flights, started their work, and a little bit, 45 minutes, an hour later, planes came and hit the World Trade Center in that 2001. See, the truth is, this is the world we live in. These things will end one day, Jesus says. I love Psalm chapter 1. Because it says the wicked are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. And eventually it will end. It will be done. There will be a time when evil will be something we go, that used to happen? (laughs) Because God has a plan to stop those things. 
I love the word, by the way, zeal, because this is a great word. We just don't use this very much, you know. But it literally means an unquenchable desire and passion. See, God has an unquenchable desire and passion to make things right, to wipe away every tear, to bring peace into every single one of our lives. He has a desire that you would never understand. I mean, take what you feel about your, your new child or that, that, that wife that you're standing at the altar. I mean, that's a, it seems so unquenchable and a passion and a desire, but the truth is it's nothing compared to the desire and passion that God has that sent His one and only Son to die on a cross so that we might have the Prince of Peace right now in our life, the perspective and the plan to do what God calls us to do and to live as God calls us to live. That's why we look at that third point here. It's really simple. Peace is all about the right person. It's all about the right person. You see, the the author goes on to say, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. See, we have a great shepherd. We have a good shepherd. The right person to follow. Let me just say something that might offend you, and I apologize. I do it all the time. I just don't always apologize before I say it. (laughs) We're sheep. I don't know if you know this, but sheep aren't the smartest animal. They just aren't. I wish God said, people are like dolphins. Because dolphins are smart. I mean, they kill great white sharks. You know what I'm saying? I'd want to be a dolphin if I was going to be an animal. Because I would kill a great white shark and be like, yep, that's what I did today. Sheep, they're the dumbest things. I mean, they're dumber, they're, they're dumber than a bag full of hammers. They just are. I mean, sheep will, they're just dumb. They need a shepherd. They need a shepherd. See, we were created to follow a person. That's why there's been nobody since the history of this world that has ever been 100% completely outside of culture, outside of somebody's need or help or outside of anything. They've always, I mean, from what we wear which is molded by the culture around us, to how we act, what we do, who we it's all about who we follow. And some of you, I don't follow anybody, but you follow a political aspect, you follow the culture, you follow, you see, we're meant to follow. It's all about the person. And, and the truth is, Jesus is the only person that will not let us down. You see, he's the only sacrifice ever in all of the sacrifices that has ever been made that rose again. He is the one that we can place our worship because we know he lives. We know he lives. The worship, the only recipient of worship that came back from the dead, he is the living shepherd, the great shepherd, the one that truly is out to help us. He is the living Prince of Peace, the person that calls to all people to receive the Father's plan to see their life through His perspective. The easiest way to get this, by the way, because I mean, I want to get to a practical aspect. And you know what? The Word of God is nothing but practical. But sometimes we can just say, hey, this is some great stuff, now go out and live it. But the truth is we need practical, don't we? Because to me, I have to have that practical because it's so easy to follow some other person. It's so easy to have a bad perspective. It's so easy to do my own plan. So if I were to put it in an easy way, and how do you follow, who do you know who you're following, is just look back on your week. If you've got a better memory than me, look back on your month. 
and ask that simple question. It's a real simple question. I even have it in the, in the notes for you. Who was I trying to please in my day-to-day? Who was I trying to please? See, maybe it's yourself. With being as comfortable and happy as possible this last week. You don't go out of your way if it causes a, a stress or a discomfort because you're not pleased. And so you, you do whatever it takes to please yourself. But the truth is, how's that, how's that working for you? Is it, is it really working for you? Do you have true peace? Or maybe it's that person or the people group in your life. You do everything to make them happy and content, but you literally sacrifice everything for them. Everything. And they still let you down. You still don't have true peace. Maybe this last week or month, it's, it's a standard or it's a principle that's been given to you and handed down by, from, from ancestor to ancestor to, from culture to culture. And this is the principle, this is the thing. It's the American dream, baby. Or it's I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And, and, and that's what you're following so much so that you, I mean, you've sacrificed and you've sacrificed and you've sacrificed. And I just want to ask you, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? See, the Bible is very specific when it talks about how we live day to day, about who we're trying to please. The word is really simple, and we get it backwards a lot of times. It's called idolatry. You see, idolatry is really simple. Idolatry isn't that thing that, as I was a kid, I used to think, man, is there some people out there that have these little shrines in the back of their rooms, you know, that are like this little alcove that's in the back of their room where they put up pictures and like candles and incense and there's this little like God there and they're just like praying to it? Is that what idolatry is? I used to think that. And I still sometimes think that when I hear the word idolatry. But that's not what the Bible is really talking about when it talks about idolatry. See, idolatry in its, in its simple aspect, idols, if we were to write it down here, idols are things in this life that we place above God. See, idols are anything that in this world that we place above God so as to bring us peace that we don't so desperately crave. See, the truth is, idols are good things. And I don't mean that in a sacrilegious way. I'm just saying, family. Family's a good thing, isn't it? taking care of our kids, that's a good thing. Working hard, that's a good thing. Wanting to have a relationship that's awesome with your spouse, that's a good thing. Doing these, I mean, being happy, being having a smile on your face and coming into work and, and, and talking to people because you're happy and you're content, that's a good thing. These are good things. Having a, having a bank account and an IRA and, and, and security and comfort and those things that we're working hard for and, and providing and all the good things. But whenever we take these good things and we place them in front of God, they become idols. That's the truth. And so in your day-to-day, who are you trying to please? Because if it's your security it's not going to work. Shoot, we can even try to put peace. We can put peace, which is a good thing. I want to pursue peace. There are many people that try to pursue peace, but they put that before God. They put that in the place of God, and it's not working. So what are you replacing Jesus with 
That's why the author goes on to say that we need Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to what? To equip us. Verse 21, this is a great verse. Equip you with every good thing, everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. The word for equip is a great word. It's got two aspects to it. Really quickly, I just want to give them to you. The first part is, if you're writing it down, it's the word for equip has to do with mending what is broken. To mend what is broken. It's the concept of a doctor, you know, if you've ever had a kid that's gotten a broke or you've gotten a broken bone or something. My mom, when she was driving in the 60s in her, um, in her new Volkswagen Beetle, it was raining in Pasadena and, and she went through, uh, she stopped at a stoplight and then went through and another car came and hit her on the side and broke her femur bone. And some of you just went, ooh, because that's supposedly the most, the, the most hurtful bone to break. There is no pain like a broken femur. And she went to Huntington Memorial Hospital and, and they, they had all these doctors and they had to set the bone. And, and Huntington Memorial Hospital, even back then, was big. They had the doors closed and everything, but they said, everybody in the hospital heard my mother scream. Everybody. Blood-curdling scream from setting that bone. But this is the idea of equipping to mend what is broken because we know that if they didn't mend it, she just walked around. I mean, it would never work. It would never fix. It would just be broken. And what's crazy about the human body is my mom, I mean, she was a house cleaner. She would clean six, seven houses a day because they mended that bone and it worked. And to this day, she doesn't feel the pain from it because it mended itself. And God came to mend what is broken. That's the idea of quipping. See, this idea of quipping is simple. Life is hard. People say hurtful things and there is a breaking. People walk away from us and there is a breaking. People we trusted, they let us down and there is a breaking. We let ourselves down and there's guilt and shame and there's a breaking. But we, we have a good shepherd who's in the business of equipping, mending what is broken. I could have you raise your hand right now and say, who's got a broken relationship here? Who's got broken this there? Bro- I mean, it's all around us. That's why we have a God who says, I want to equip you and mend what is broken. See, the beautiful thing is, Paul talks about this. He says, shod your feet in the old King James. Shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Put on peace on your feet as you go, wherever you go. Why? Because you're mended through Jesus Christ. We can bring the equipping that God does to us first. I mean, what does Jesus say? He said, I didn't come for the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. It's the sick. It's the broken. I've come to equip, mend those that are broken. Now, that's not the first, that's, that's not the ending of equipping here because the second part of equipping is also just as awesome. Equip not only needs, means mend, but it also means to outfit and supply. To outfit and supply. When we got to Hawaii, my wife and I were really excited. Um, I, but I was, I, I'm, let me just put it this way. I'm kind of stupid with things. I just am. And I got to Hawaii and I packed jeans. Anybody who's been to Hawaii is like, why did you pack jeans? I don't know. <laughs> I sweated the whole time. And I mean, it was November. And, and people were there like, yeah, it's hot. It's not too hot. You know, it's nice. It's good. I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> It was so hot, I, need, I didn't even need jeans. And, and the cool thing is, though, when we got there, the people we were with, um, Kim's friends, and now my friends, because I, I met the husband for the first time, and it was great, but they said, oh, 
you, you want to do this thing called snorkeling? And we're like, yeah, we've never really done it. And they're like, don't worry about it. And he pulled out this bag of hundreds of dollars worth of epic snorkeling gear. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I want to use it. And we snorkeled that whole week. And we got good at snorkeling. Man, I would go down. We followed sea turtles. I found shells. It was awesome. Never even had to leave the ocean to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I was out there for days. Days. Awesome. And Kim and I would come back and we'd sit in the car. And we, by the end of the week, we were like, oh man, we're like locals here. And we talk, we see these, we see these, you know, these pasty white people, uh, you know, pull up and we'd be like, look at those Howleys, huh? And for those of you that don't know, Howleys means out of towners, you know, other people. You know, I mean, it's stupid, but by the end of the week, we were like, man, we're, we're so, no. Because we didn't have any, I showed up with jeans for the love of Pete, you know? I mean, and here they supplied us, they outfitted us like we could never have done for ourselves. See, the truth is we're broken and we need to be mended. But after we're put right, God says, I'm equipping you. I'm giving you the gospel of peace to go out. I'm going to outfit you, supply you for your daily life. This is the core message of Christianity, but this is where the rubber meets the road. Can I just say I need this on a day-to-day basis? Because when I stop working and I come home, there's six people living in my house. Four of which are like crazy people. I love what Jim Gaffigan says about raising young kids. He says it's like living with insane homeless people. Because one minute they're crying, next minute they're laughing, then they're throwing up on you, and it's just nuts, and then there's a hostage negotiation to get them to bed. And to get, I mean, it's craziness. It's crazy. And any of you who have raised kids for longer than a day, you know what I'm talking about. And we had four of them, a lot of them. And I would come home from work and it was like, what? Emotional stability is not something we have here. And there are chores to be done, dishes to be washed, trash to be taken out, homework to be checked and corrected, relationship struggles to be dealt with, with one kid who wants to kill another kid. Dinner to be made and cleaned up, teeth need to be brushed, people put to bed, and everything done in a calm, loving, Christian manner. Uh Uh-huh. Good luck. Good luck. You you get what I'm saying? Because maybe this doesn't jive with you. Maybe you're like, I'm a 19-year-old, I don't got no kids, but you've got to go to work. And you've got to deal with those people at work. You have to drive on a freeway in Southern California. Enough said. You've got to deal with the conflict and the brokenness all around you. And let me just tell you, you will fail. You will fail. I fail. It's an impossible task. It's like Kim and I showing up, I've got jeans in my bag and snorkeling, what's that? (laughs) Outfitted, supplied. God wants not only to mend you, please understand that, because every single one of you is broken, just like me. But after that, he wants to supply and outfit you with with the Holy Spirit, with the power that you will never have on your own to accomplish the tasks that he gives you that you could not do on a daily basis. I was reminded of this the other day when I was fighting with my daughter. 
teenage girls and me. I'm a very dramatic person. You know exactly how I'm feeling. There's no such thing as... I've never had anybody tell me, Chris, what are you thinking right now? Because I just can't read you. I've never had that. Because I wear my emotion and my heart on my sleeves. It's just who I am. And my daughter and I got into it. And we were fighting. And as we were fighting, I was antagonizing her and antagonizing her and exasperating her and pushing her. And I even came up to the dishes where she was supposed to be on and I pushed her out of the way. Because I'm mad. Yeah, that's me. Pushing a teenage girl out of the way. Because that's what happens on my own power. Do you get it? Uh, Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I know exactly who you are. You're just like me. Every single one of you, every single one of you doesn't have the power to. And you're going to go to jobs. You're going to go to your family. And you're going to be attempting to make the peace yourself. And you can't. But that's okay. That's why God in His provision wants to give us the right perspective, look to His plan, and give us the person of Jesus Christ in our life, in that moment. And can I say, that's why we're here together, to put our arms around each other and say, it's not about me, don't follow my lead, follow Jesus. He's the person. He's the Prince of Peace. Where today do you need the Prince of Peace? If you can do me a favor, just close your eyes, bow your heads real quick. This is as simple as just saying, God, I know I'm going to see the in-laws in a couple of days. I know I have that situation at work. I know I have that situation at home. And right now, I don't have the peace because I just can't do it. See, the core of Christianity is just saying, we know we can't create the peace. That's why we follow the Prince of Peace. And so I just want to give you time of reflection right now to boldly go before the throne of grace, as it says in the book of Hebrews, to boldly, to walk down that aisle knowing that God has a plan for you, knowing that God's got a perspective, and and knowing that the person... The only person worthy of worship is saying, Come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you shalom. Jehovah shalom. The peace that you need. And say, and and just get real. Tell him about your work. He already knows. Tell him about your your cousin. (laughs) Tell him about the struggles you're having right now. And give it to him. I gotta do this. I have to do this just like you. My prayer, our prayer right now, Lord Jesus, is that you would give us the power to face the loneliness, power to face the the, the abuse, power to face the anger, power to face the neglect, power to face those daily things that, that try to take our peace. And at the end of the day, we can say, you did it. Because I had my eyes on you, Jesus. And at the end of the day, we can say, thank you for giving me the peace I could never have on my own.
Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters and pray that if they don't know this peace, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus and what you came to do and what you're doing right now in our midst, if they would stick around. We could talk. Because there ain't a better time than right now to come to the altar and to the feet of the Prince of Peace. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And may you be honored and blessed.